Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Welcome, everybody, to Prime Time with Hacksaw Jim Duggan, the Hall of Famer from the WWE, and me, Sean Mooney. And, folks, I have to tell you, we are overwhelmed by the response we've been receiving to the podcast, and we are hoping that you will continue to help us spread the word that the podcast is available at mlwradio.com and, of course, through iTunes. And, folks, when you go there, we need you to do us a big favor. If uh, you like what you're hearing, be sure to click the subscribe icon and... Give us a review. So far, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, you know, we've just been getting five-star reviews, and and that's really awesome. So we want to keep hearing from these folks. Jim, we got a lot to talk about this week. I know you've had an incredible week coming off another Comic-Con. So, uh, Well, you know, know, Sean, the way things have been going, everything's been going so great. I I hate to kind of start the show off on a a somber note, but... uh, you know, I talked to the, the higher-ups in the uh, podcast thing there. You know, they gave me a call today, and they said, Axel, we got we to gotta cut down on the hole. And I said, you know, <laughs> too many hoes? Knock it off, Sean. No, you know what I mean. Ho, ho, and, you know. So uh, I get a little too carried away. I'm blowing out the audio, I guess. You know, folks are going down the road, and their windshield's blowing out or something. So I got to cut down on the hole. And so the enthusiasm's still here when I'm just kind of toning down the volume a little bit, buddy. Okay, so give me a toned down ho. Ho. <laughs> you <laughs> no, know what? You can't help it if you're going to ho, brother. You got a ho like you made it. Sorry, audio guys. Ho! But that's the last one. <laughs> well, we just blew out 10 windshields, I think. Yeah. Well, I, and you know, you were saying about the reviews. I tell you, my family's been writing in every week. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that accounts for all 25 of us. everybody on the deal. <laughs> Well, you know, and also, Jim, we've been hearing, I know you do, you've got uh, thousands and thousands of uh, Twitter followers, but we've been hearing from a lot of people on Twitter. And if you don't know, folks, uh, uh, Hacksaws is at official Hacksaw. And then you can reach me at Sean Mooney, who, and uh, we have our own Twitter account for the podcast at primetime MLW. But, uh, you know, Jim, I, have you been saying that, that's, that's new, isn't it, Sean, that, uh, yeah, we're getting fancy here. Oh, all right. I like all this fancy. I got to get. I know you guys are working with me on this audio. I try to get the headset right, but you know, in this, but we're working on it. Yeah, as with this podcast, is it's a work in progress. But uh, you know, Jim, I know you feel the same way I do. And it hasn't it been fun 
uh, getting these these Twitter comments from people uh, about the podcast, and uh, you know they they've sent us gifts of you know you know if you know what a gif is, you know where they do that little video uh, bite uh, that they put up on Twitter, and I've seen some great ones that they've been pulling from the the Coliseum videos that I did with Lord Alfred Hayes. And uh, you know, one we did with uh, we did this Star Trek spoof, which was <laughs> just insane. We did it with a bunch of green screens, and we had uh, you know little uh, interviews with uh, Ric Flair came on, and and uh, Mr. Perfect. That one's been floating out there, and I just saw another one last night where I don't even know what the heck Alfred and I were doing, but we're we're the the uh, premise of it is we're in an airplane, and Alfred is flying, and we are not doing well, and I'm trying to get help. So, but hasn't it been fun listening to and seeing some of these comments on Twitter? Well, I I like the idea of what you talk about gifts. You know, back in the old day, if you're a heel, the last thing you want is a baked good gift. You know, <laughs> don't eat the cake if they bring the cake to the heel dressing room. Right. That's one of the razor blades. So, the and the, the real hack sauce. Yeah, the special sauces in it. You know. Yeah. <laughs> No, and, and, you know, Sean, I was just up at the uh, Knoxville Fanboy Comic Con up in uh, Tennessee, and yeah. I was getting a lot of nice feedback from from folks there. And then one guy punched me in the nose, but no, no. Yeah, overall, it was uh, yeah, positive, positive feedback, folks. Uh, you know, like we were talking before, this the golden age of wrestling, and you get different perspectives from different guys. But from from us uh, who were really there on the front lines of, of it all at the uh, at the evolution time, uh, it's kind of a unique perspective. Yeah, and and I uh, there are so many people that, uh, like I said, we keep hearing from, and also we you know knew this kind of going in that it really was a classic age in wrestling, the '80s and '90s with the WWF. But you know those that were involved knew it too. Yeah, I think you know looking back at it, and you look at some of the the, the uh, great wrestlers. I saw a Twitter uh, that a guy said, you know, I could name twenty. Uh, you you know you just asked me I could name twenty wrestlers superstars with the WWF in the eighties and nineties. I don't you know I, for a million dollars I don't think I could name ten of the the current guys, and that really says a lot about that era. And that's what this podcast is all about: is to talk about uh, what went on in those days from my perspective as a an announcer with the WWF, and your perspective, somebody that had been in the business. Um, you know, before that, and then lived through that era, and then has and, and has come back, and then you know, of course, the the pinnacle of this, you being inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame. So it it really is. It's really been a great ride so far, and we're like we're just three episodes in. Yeah, and it's not uh, at least on my end. I think on yours also, Sean, going to be a bashing of the current product. No, you know, a lot of folks are critical of the WWE. Yeah. Uh, you know, I tell you, there's 80,000 folks at WrestleMania from 40 different countries. Somebody's watching the show, you know, yeah. and the, kid, the kids nowadays, I think, are, are obviously much more professional than, than our generation of guys. You know, we had a bunch of outlaws running around, uh, you know, much more professional and maybe even more athletic. But like I said before, I think our, our group was more genuine, more original. I mean, you know, you, you couldn't write junkyard dog stuff. Uh, that's who the guy was. Yeah, exactly, and and uh, you're right. There's the, it's it's now worldwide. I mean, we were just really getting started as far as it becoming this. Uh, you know, it, the WWWF started that way, and it was worldwide. But it 
it really is now. And there isn't really a country where you can't find a, you know, a t-shirt that has some kind of WWE character on it or, or, or athlete uh, or, or, you know, one of the programs. So uh, of yeah, course it's right. absolutely, we're not knocking what they did. We're, we're just, and, but we, we're talking about what we know and, and what went on back in the time that we were with the WWF now, the WWE. Sure, I, I do a lot of uh, charity golf tournaments. Even though I'm, you know, I'm a horrible golfer. I got a two by four in my bag. It's my best club, you know. But we do charity <laughs> tournaments and, Real and race stuff. Yeah, right. Hey, that was a shot. <laughs> my board is long and hard. I'll tell you. But anyway, and one time I got this big giant splinter in my thumb. You know, Sean. Mm-hmm. And I went. Oh. I thought we weren't going to have any hosts. <laughs> no, 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 oh, sorry, sorry about that. But anyway, when I was doing those uh, those golf tournaments, I always asked the NFL guys, "I'm like, uh, world champions, <laughs> where in the world do you guys go?" I mean, it's, <laughs> it's amazing yeah. the appeal of wrestling around the whole world. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no kidding, absolutely. And uh, you know, once again, folks, uh, also you can contact us. We've got. I, I wanted to tell you, Jim, I got an. I checked our email. We have an email account, folks. It's. Uh, uh, the let's see, I want to make sure I get this right. Primetime at mlw.com. Primetime at mlw.com. And Jim, we've already received. How come you get all these uh, these notices about the Twitter and the email and stuff? Uh, you must be up on the totem pole, brother. Yeah, we're not. I, I never get the heads up about that. I feel like I'm working for WWE again. Yeah, we got to look at the inbox once in a while. But yeah, I, I know. I'm just giving you hard time. <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> We we get it. we're getting emails from all over the place. One uh, we got one from you know England, and I uh, this uh, one gentleman. And we're gonna be talking about that a little bit later on the show. Uh, he had some great questions and also some good suggestions for uh, upcoming shows. But um, you know, <laughs> we'd love to there. hear from folks. If you can't you can't get a message across to us in a lot in 142 characters a lot of time, uh, a lot of the time on Twitter. But you can do that in an email. You can make it as long as you want. And we'd love to hear from you. Uh, we'd love to get your questions that you might have for one of us, and, and be able to answer them on the podcast. Or you just want to uh, tell us about a show you'd like us to uh, uh, do in the future. We'd love to hear from you. But uh, Hacks, I wanted to tell you that. Uh, uh, We've got, I want to call this, I'm, I want to add this segment. I'm going to add this segment today. I'm going to call it, oh, really? Isn't that incredibly clever? <laughs> uh, but anyway, when, when people, I've got a bunch of questions that uh, this guy sent to me about your two by four. And I'm, <laughs> and I was thinking about, that's kind of crazy, but you know what? A lot of people wonder about the two by four. That has been something that really identifies you. So I'm going to throw these out at you and I want you to, uh, you know, uh, come back and, and, and tell us about the 2x4, okay? So this first one I got here, it said, how did it come about that you started carrying a 2x4 to the ring? Well, you know, Sean, back in the early days, I was a heel, you know, when I was a big Jim Duggan and, and stuff. But uh, when I finally evolved into Hacksaw, I was working out in the San Antonio Territory for Joe Blanchard, and uh, I was a bad guy. And just getting back and forth from the ring for – in Lubbock, Texas, and Amarillo, I mean, it was a challenge. The people, they'd spit on you and punch at you and kick you. I mean, they really hated you. It was it was a long time before sports entertainment. So anyway, I'm sitting back in the dressing room in, uh, like, Lubbock, Texas, all covered with loogies and bruises and people <laughs> spit, spit on me. And Brody comes in, Bruiser Brody comes in, he looks at me, he goes, Duggan, Duggan, he says, if you carry something to the ring, Carry something you can use. Forget those damn feather boas and sequin robes. <laughs> and so I swear I'm sitting there in the chair and I look down, I'm like, well, 
here's a piece of wood <laughs> and I picked up the two by four and I went out I, and I was before the hole, but I was yelling. I come out yelling, waving that two by four. It was like part in the red sea. Then people <laughs> scattered. <laughs> I got to the ring. I'm like, this is great. <laughs> Been carrying it ever since. It yeah. has come in handy over the years. Well, it's amazing how it really has uh, come to identify with you. I mean, everything is, you know, they don't think so, of you with a saw in your hand. They think of you with a two by four. Two by four. Uh, and, yeah. and you know, Hex, I used to wonder this myself. I was wondering, does does he always have the same piece of wood? Does he pick up a, a piece of lumber when he comes to town? And that was a question. Do do you travel with the same two by four everywhere you went, or do you find find one everywhere you go? What was the story? In the, in, in the states, North America. Uh, I, they pretty much would have had a one, one or two on the truck for me. So whenever I got there, I had them for me. But of course, you know, I used to travel with Jake, the snake Roberts. I'd walk into some arena and I'd be like, uh, can somebody find me a two by four and get him a 10 foot Python? You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, could, I, I could find a two by four pretty much anywhere. Yeah. If I had to, I've been known to be out back breaking up a pallet. <laughs> This will work. Anything but a piece of plywood will go. But uh, but when I go overseas, though, because everything is metric overseas, I do take my own board over there. And my father-in-law, God bless him, he made me this beautiful, elaborate felt two-by-four case. It's gorgeous, you know, really? because everything over there, it's metric, so it's different. And I used to use it like a, a rifle. I would use it in a drill team. So I, I'm going over to Italy, and I got my uh, two by four in the case. I got all the wrestlers, Hogan, Macho, Andre with us. And so the guy at custom stops me, you know, hold it, hold it. <laughs> he takes the board out of the case, and he's wrapping. <laughs> he's wrapping on the board. And he's like, what do you do with board? So I sit there with all the guys. I'm like, yeah, I'm building a house over here piece by piece, you know. <laughs> the guy one said, at a time. Yeah, the guy said, sit over there. <laughs> About three hours later, I'm, going, I'm very, very sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Don't joke with the custom guys, you know. <laughs> I could imagine the uh, how the boys felt about what you did. Yeah, yeah they're all, yeah, as you know, they're on the bus waiting for me. Because oh. <laughs> they, they all got to wait for the last guy. So I got on the bus, everybody's chewing my butt. And, and so you actually had a case. You had a two by four case that you would carry I still around. Got it. It's a gorgeous case. Yeah, my father-in-law got bless him. He spent a lot of time making it. That's felt. It's double stitched. It's yeah, you know, because over there, you know, a two by four, it's bigger than the American two by four. And back in the day, I used to throw it up as high as I could, you know, and I'd get out from underneath it and I'd catch it, you know, and I and I never ever missed it on television. Missed it at a house show before, but that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> so, what? Wait a minute. In Europe, so the the two by four is actually something like a like a I don't know three by five. <laughs> Do they have? Yeah, they have so, yeah it's more system. Just, I know that, but was it a bigger board? <laughs> yeah, it's a bigger, heavier, definitely bigger, heavier board than an American two by four. Yeah. Uh, European board is bigger. You know? Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Yep. There you go, folks. You you probably I didn't know that. I, I didn't. <laughs> I can tell you 
around the world. <laughs> okay, here's another one. This, this is another well, one. Object. Right. Okay, ready? This is uh, greatest hit, greatest hits in the ring and out of the ring. Uh, specific memories of what happened in the ring with, with the 2 by 4 that maybe wasn't supposed to take place. Oh, that, that, that's for sure. Um, I think it was at the Cap Center or Baltimore, one of those towns, man. And I was going and I was supposed to break the two by four over Andre's back, you know. And the last time I whacked him, I mean, I hit him really hard. And, and Andre's a giant, you know. But that means he got giant nerve and he, he hurts more, you know. The guy, I, I think, you know, I knew I, I kind of hurt him that last time I hit him. So I had the board and I was supposed to break it over his back. I roll in the ring and he's bent over and I whack him and the board doesn't break. And I'm like, oh, son of a. <laughs> roll out the ring and I'm like, Argh! and I hit the board on the apron and the board breaks in two and a big jagged end of two by fours going end over end out into the crowd. Oh my God. <laughs> it's like everybody in the buildings watching like a baseball bat going into the audience. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like a foul ball. Like the guy, like. <laughs> Somebody's getting paled, you know, with my two by four, but thank God nobody got hit. Yeah, were you like, no? Of- slow motion. Yeah, yeah, it was terrible. Not to mention, it was terrifying for me. You should have seen the crowd in that, on the ring side, that side of the ring. I know that Andre is, is, is one massive individual i i know that but did they do something what did you do to this board though if it was supposed to break was it cut in a certain place so that you could i mean how did you do do that because if you cut it you could see it was cut straight we would take it back there and and try to gimmick and and break it you know two or three guys would pick up on it with it underneath something so you'd break it where it'd be jagged you know right yeah if you cut it uh you know, except WCW one year, they had a prop department, and they gave me a rubber two-by-four. <laughs> it was like a giant Gumby board. <laughs> so I run in down the ring, and I think it might have been like uh, uh, Shane Douglas and uh, that group of guys, Dean Malenko, whatever that group was called down at WCW, right? I roll in with a two-by-four, and I hit the first one, and it goes, Boop, it burns like a bit. <laughs> And looking back at it, you know, I should have just dumped the board. I should have just, you know, canned the board. But now I'm trying to straighten it in the ring. That's really, really wet. Got to look or something. Yeah, right. A giant gumby board. Did you look when the guy handed it to you? Did you go like, really, really? You well, think w- this is going to work? <laughs> throwing money down the drain you know they got a prop department you know and they i don't know who knows how much this fake two by four cost you know i've been been using a two by four for 20 years and they're like well here's this uh, board we had made for you (laughs) i'm like shoot you just the money you pay for the board i'll split it with my opponent we'll be both be happy (laughs) i mean did they think that you know somehow you could you could hit people and it would you know sell better or something because you could hit them harder with it or what the heck was the theory behind that at the end, I almost thought WCW was just trying to kill me off. You know, I came back one night and I'm like, Bischoff, you can't kill me off. Beat me every single night. You can't kill me. Oh, I mean, because they had me doing every silly thing. You know, at first it was the janitor and finding yeah. the TV title in the trash. And then there was the Team Canada deal. Uh, they, you know, actually, I was talking to a court, the uh, 
the podcast guy earlier today, and I said, you know, that's what Vince Russo told me to cut down on Owen to do. <laughs> Look how it worked and, out for him. <laughs> even though, you know, yeah. Well, that's a whole other story. But. Yeah, and that is, I think that's another podcast actually coming up. Uh, and then I mentioned, I, he also asks on here about, you know, about outside the ring. And I think he's referring to uh, incidents where that two-by-four may have saved your life, uh, trying to get back to the locker room or something like that. Did you ever really have to give somebody a good shot with that thing? Trying to uh, yeah, never outside the ring. I, I've, I've uh, intimidated people with it before. You know, back in the old days, they'd be waiting for you back. You know, you come out of Laranja, Louisiana, after beating Junk Yugger Dog up, <laughs> you better have something in your hand. That's for sure. There's an old story about the Freebirds down there in Baton Rouge at the old Centroplex in Baton Rouge. And, that's after they blinded the junkyard dog. They were going to put Nair in his hair, but they missed. They put it in his eyes, and they blinded JYD, and he just had his first baby. He couldn't see his baby, and the crowd was crazy in love with the dog. And oh, down yeah. there, you used to say like when they would chant, you could it would lift the roof off, right? When yeah, the... who, yeah, who that? Who that? You know that New Orleans chant? Yeah. like the same. Who that? Who that? Who that? Who that going to beat the dog? Who that? Boom. Boom, boom. <laughs> I mean, it was intimidating back there. But anyway, so they, they blind the dog and everything, and they have the show, and they come out of the uh, – I was riding with Ricky Farrar, the referee, back in the day. I was just I was still a green young guy. Anyway, so I'm sitting in the car, and the Freebirds all come out, and they get in the Terry Gordy's van, and this one little guy comes up and throws a rock. Boom, breaks the windshield of the van, right? Yeah. Gordy. Michael and Buddy jump out of the van. They're on the guy's tail. They're running after him, running after him. Guy goes around the corner. They go around the corner. 1,001, 1,002. Here come the birds. A crowd of about 20 people. <laughs> they had ambushed him. They were all around the corner waiting for him. Yeah, it's like the movie where you see him chase one guy, and then all of a sudden they're going, get this. Exactly. That was back. That's probably where they got it from. They stole the gimmick. <laughs> yeah, because that was back in the early 80s, man. Yeah. Yeah, the crowd, it was, it was dangerous. I mean, everybody joked about the deal. I saw the old lady with a cane hit you. <laughs> Unless you're the guy getting hit by the old lady with a cane. It's not so cool. And, and a lot of times, you know, I, I, when I was a heel down there in, in Mid-South, you're, you're wrestling the baby face. I was in uh, Sam Houston Coliseum in Houston, Texas. I'm getting ready to tie up. All of a sudden, the battery goes right in between me, me and the uh, DiBiase. Shoot, goes flying over. Boom! Hits some lady ringside. She goes down like she got shot. Sniper got her. I mean, got, get get a headlock. Yeah, <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, Dude, if something ever happens, if something ever happens in the audience, get a headlock. <laughs> That's right. It's going on in the audience, you know. So yeah, get a headlock. Yeah. Wow. Hey, uh, boy, we're we're uh, moving along here, but because um, there's, I really want to get into our main topic. But I know, you know, and what I do during the week, Jim, is not really a, a lot of fun to talk about. I, I, I'm, an, I'm a news anchor. I get to have a little fun on in the morning show, but nothing like what you get to do. I talk mostly about murder and mayhem. But uh, these comic cons, and you, you were just at that the, the Knoxville fanboy comic con, are really, they're, they're, uh, these things, I mean, you do, I don't know how many you do a year, but they have become incredibly popular, right? Oh, they're, and they're so much fun. I joke, I was at the New York City Comic Con last year, and a guy bumps into you and looks at you and goes, hey, 
excuse me. <laughs> Everybody's so friendly at the thing. Everybody's, you know, and there's some great costumes. I see you see some movie quality costumes, and then you see a kid with a box on his head, you know, from one <laughs> to the other, you know, and yeah. every fifth Wonder Woman is hot, you know, <laughs> but uh, it's uh, everybody has a lot of fun at those things, and uh, yeah, and it's surprising. It's a pop culture convention, really, and of course, wrestling is a big part of that era. You know, I, I, Henry Winkler was there, six million dollar man. Lee Majors, he's a big wrestling fan. Uh, it, it's fun to do those things. Yeah, I uh, well, this weekend I'm going up to Rutland, Vermont. I got a uh, a wrestling show up in Rutland, so it works out because I'm living in Glens Falls, so I'll fly into Albany, drive up. Uh, see my uh my sister and then do the show so that works out that's cool and uh you got any and we'll we'll talk about it again at the end of the show but are you, you got more of these appearances coming up that folks could oh yeah i, do it. I got a stand-up show coming uh july 17th in charlotte uh, uh and then uh 28th i'm in poughkeepsie 29th i'm in green bay uh, 13th i'm up in chicago uh, throwing out the first pitch at a minor league baseball game <laughs> You That's know, you might have to start working on your uh, pitching arm because you've been doing a couple of these here and there. So yeah, you got to make home plate, dude. Yeah, I know. That's the because they usually have two or three people do it. You know, and, and one's like a 12-year-old kid, and he's throwing smoke, you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, WWE Hall of Famer. I'm like, <laughs> nice bounce, Hacksaw. Whoa. Hey, it, only bounced, it only bounced once. You're good. It's all good. 50 cents. That's the, uh, the marker, right? So, but yeah, I have a lot of fun. There's a big tie in between minor league baseball and, uh, wrestling That's and, yeah. and minor league hockey. I do hockey games too. Well, I think as you know, and you've traveled the world that everywhere you go, I, I remember getting on planes, you know, he's got the guy next to you and say, Oh yeah, you look familiar or whatever. And they'd say that guy from uh, the WWF. You're like, yeah. And they go, Oh yeah, my, my, son watches that. And then for the next two hours, the guys choose, choose your ear off on every angle. He knows, everything and you know hey would you sign this before you leave it's uh it's uh ray uh yeah okay all right ray have a good time good nice seeing you and then he's like oh oh, oh yeah okay <laughs> you know? yeah well I, I find even for the folks that aren't wrestling fans i mean you know there's a lot of closet wrestling fans who are like you know i'm not a wrestling fan but aren't you hacksaw duggan <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah but there's a clue about who you are but are still intrigued by our business. I mean, it's a, a unique business. See, even a, the you know the top businessman at, at at some other company, and he's like, "Oh, wrestling, that's yeah. you." You know, uh, it's an intriguing business, and uh, and so yeah. So sometimes you do spend a lot of time. Of course, it makes the flight go by quicker. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, and the other thing too, Jim, and uh, you know how many celebrities over the years have been a part of these you know WrestleMania events and other other things that. Uh, the WWE has done. And, you know, I would say a vast majority of those guys that would come to the shows, they weren't there just, you know, they weren't there just for the money. They were genuinely, uh, you know, super fans. I mean, Regis Philbin, who was really great friends with Freddie, uh, with Freddie Blassie, um, when, when Freddie, you know, was on the Pacific territories down there and he used to go down to San Diego and, and he was on Regis's, you know, talk show all the time. And he was, uh, you know, he loved the business. And and you, you know what, you know, I'm talking about that. These celebrities would come, and they were, you know, the biggest fans around. They they loved being. Oh yeah, and, and the uh, and the wrestling dressing room, you, you'd meet politicians, athletes, movie stars. Yeah. I mean, uh, musicians. You, you'd meet everybody. I mean, uh, and 
but you know, then they would be glad to meet the wrestlers. I mean, like I said, I, I was excited to meet Londy Anderson from uh, WKRP and married to Burt Reynolds and all that. And she's like, Oh, hacksaw Doug and I love watching you wrestle. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, you know, uh, cool. But yeah. And, and you know, not only uh, comic cons, but I want to talk a little bit, Sean, if I could about the independent shows out there. I tell folks, if they haven't had an opportunity to support local wrestling, to support the local independent shows, go to those shows, check it out one night. It's a fun night out. You know, you cheer the good guy, you boo the bad guy, or you go sit in a movie for three hours. You know, I mean, it's, uh, it's, uh, and those young guys are out there, they're busting their butt, uh, trying to, trying to make the, the cut and get, uh, beat the odds and get a break and go to WWE. But, uh, if you haven't been to an indie show, go to an indie and check out a comic con. And I was going to hold, but I bite my tongue cold. Yeah, you can give me a little. Give me a. Give me a. Re, re, uh, you know the one. I can't try. If you go to hole, you got a hole yeah. like you mean it. That's like yeah, you kind of kind of fire your can a little bit. Yeah, you know when you just when you, you just say, oh, <laughs> see you can't help himself. You're going to be getting a phone call. You know, court's going to. Yeah, be yeah, I know it. Like, get, like uh, getting called up by Vincent's office. You know, yeah. he's going to like Duggan. <laughs> I counted nine hoes. <laughs> yeah. Hey, and that was at my bachelor party. <laughs> oh, oh, no. <laughs> and that's another that's Jake, Jake, Jake put on my bachelor party, Jake the Snake. So, needless to say. Do you want to tell that story now, or should we say? Are you going to want to the tapes and uh, scatter the ashes? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I disappeared for right. three Let's... days on that. <laughs> Yeah, and you still and uh, Deborah still married you, so boy, yeah, you know she the, she must have loved 33, you. <laughs> 33 years together, man. I like wow. to call her the lottery winner. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Every day. Everybody else, your poor wife. I don't know. Okay, let's get into our uh, our our topic today, and I I teased this before with with folks during the week that. Um, I want to talk about, uh, you know, uh, not just announcers. I mean, there, there people have specific announcers. And, you know, as a, a, when I was with the WWF, you heard all the time, like, who was the best announcer? But, you know, what I want to talk about it was who, who what I believe was one of the best announced teams ever. And it, and it took two to make this happen. And that was Bobby the Brain Heenan and Gorilla Monsoon. And uh, I think that, and I, I said this uh, in our, what we put out talking about the show is the most entertaining, I think, announced duo ever. And people may have, you know, everybody has their different opinions, but I was very close to both of them. And uh, what they had was, it was incredible magic. And a little background on both, you know, Bobby Heenan uh, was uh, uh, born Raymond Lewis Heenan in Chicago in 1944. And he uh, started in the business, wanted to just, you know, that, that's, it was never a question for him for a lot, a lot of these people. And, uh, and then you have a gorilla monsoon who was born, uh, you know, Robert James Morella, uh, who a lot of people don't realize, Jim, he was a fantastic amateur wrestler. And, uh, I think one of the reasons we got along so well when he found out I was also born in Rochester, New York. So he, <laughs> he, he that, that was kind of our first connection, but he went to Ithaca. Uh, and in 1959, I, he was he got second in the NCAA uh, tournament. So he was quite an accomplished athlete as well. Uh, he was he a big man. Gorilla of, was a, a gorilla. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he and started immortal, out, immortalized forever at WW with the gorilla position. I mean, yep. right before you go through the curtain to go out in front of the audience, 
you go through the gorilla position because that's where he would always sit. It's been named after him, and you know, that's quite an honor. I mean, everybody knows the gorilla, gorilla position. Yeah, and he was there for, for many, many years, and I always remember, ding, ding, ding. That's what he would see when to start yeah, a match. Right, yep, just start the match, get the bell going. <laughs> ding, 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 that's and, right. And give him the pencil. And uh, yeah. he was incredibly respected. Um, but right now, I want to focus on how he became teamed up with Bobby Heenan. And, you know, he had a great uh, career. He started as uh, Gino Morella, which I wanted to mention that because a lot of people, I knew him as Gino. I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure backstage you knew him as Gino. Uh, that stuck with him, although the gimmick that he had, Gino Morella, didn't last very long as the proud Italian. And then he became Gorilla Monsoon this wild man from Manchuria. And he had a, a great career, uh, pretty much a lifer with the, you know, WWF and then WWF and um, for, you know, 20 years. And he was very loyal to Vince Sr. And for, you know, and, and before that loyalty, uh, when Vince took over, you know, in the early 80s, he basically rewarded him by giving him a lifetime contract. So, you know, uh, and he had shares in the company and he, Vince Jr. bought those out, and then with the stipulation that uh, he was going to have a lifetime contract with the, the WWF at the time. And then he uh, you know, transitioned out of the ring and became an announcer. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people remember that uh, you know, Gorilla was teamed with Jesse Ventura and uh, for the first five WrestleManias, except for that WrestleMania 2. Jim, you remember that WrestleMania 2 where they had people all over the place? They had uh, no, the I, Nassau I Coliseum. Yeah, I was yeah, still down to uh, mid south back then. So yeah, well, they had they had uh, announced teams or they had venues in three different places in Chicago, at the uh, Rosemont Horizon and uh, Nassau Coliseum in New York, and then in Los Angeles at the Sports Arena. C- crazy event that was, a, that, but that was really that was amazing. But anyway, that year he didn't team with with uh, with Jesse, uh, and then after that. Bobby, who you know had done you know great uh, performances uh, as a manager, they made that transition. So they that's when they really started to team up. Uh, you, you saw some of the the, uh, the these announced teams, and in your mind, like from listening, and what did you think at that time? Like what did what uh, was the best? How do you put wrestlers over in the ring uh, that you consider like announced teams had to put together? Well, the, those two guys, they, they had a plus because they were both friends, too. You know, uh, that's always a... I don't, but I, I, just, good, I don't think they really knew each other that when they first started working together that well, though. I think no, but I think really that friendship came. grew as the, 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 yeah, yeah. As, it, as as they were together. Yeah. I, yeah. Uh, and plus, they were both good. It was like uh, Abbott and Costello. Singles, yeah. they, were, they were good, but together they were magic. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, Bob, Bobby, uh, to this day, I, I think, is one of the all-time... You know, it's it's being objective. Who's the best ever? I mean, it's not like a a shot put record or a a mild time. So you can say this guy ran the best ever. You know, everybody's got an opinion and there's a lot of very, very good ones out there, man. And, uh, you know, I thought that you're I think you're right. That was a a great team. But I think you knew more. You had more interaction. I I knew I didn't know uh, Gorilla as Gino. I knew him as Gorilla. I think you had much more interaction with those guys than I did. Yeah, well, and especially with with Gino, because you know, Bobby was on the road uh, with the boys for. Uh, I don't, you know, I look back, I don't know how he did it. I mean, that schedule that he had was just 
unbelievable. Well, you know, it was, doing. it was a lifestyle. It really wasn't a yeah. job. I mean, it really was a lifestyle, not just for Bobby, but for all the boys. I mean, it, your your life uh, revolved around it. And, uh, you know, so I, I enjoyed it. I, I thought it was, you know, it was a fun way to live. And, of course, it was hard work and a lot of travel. But, you know, I tell yeah. folks it's not like working in a salt mine. <laughs> No, I mean, you were making good money. I mean, that, and that's the way you had right, to do well, it. Because, uh, yeah, yeah, it's not, yeah. you know, baseball, football player money, but it's definitely, as Bobby Heenan said, with more than pushing a refrigerator around Sears. Yeah. <laughs> Sears, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. But I, I really, the schedule he must have kept, and I would love to see, like, his, his, his travel schedule, because not only would he do all these shots on the road, he would, you know, be managing three yeah, different exactly. teams or whatever, but then he would come to Stanford because we shot – uh, you know, um, wrestling challenge. And I don't and think there, a lot of people there's really another man. Excuse yeah. me. Yeah, I'm sorry. There was another guy that's successful. You know, he's been with his wife forever, saved his money, yeah. you know, you know, partied, but never got caught up in a lifestyle where he had to go to rehab for anything. I mean, he, uh, you know, another success story, you know, God bless the, the, the cancer deal, but you know, I, I'm a cancer survivor too. Uh, Dr. Death had cancer. A lot of us, uh, at the big C. Yeah. And it's a, it's a tough, it, it, you know, a business and, you know, they can break down why many don't live to be, you know, past 60 much unless they really took care of themselves along the way. But a lot of people who said about Bobby, it was always business first. And then if you, if he knew you could do business, then a friendship could come out of that. It didn't work the other way around. And that told told you what a true professional well, he's, he's he from really that is. close group that was back from you know even wwf was still pretty close i mean they like we talked to the other, on the other shows the internet opened up so much it pulled the curtain back on wrestling totally yeah you know now every state has you know half a dozen wrestling organizations you know that are smart to the business and you know some i, I do those I've, I've done a couple gatherings with the insane clown posse my gosh it was like uh, being at a butcher shop backstage. Everybody's getting juice on the head, on the arms. I mean, uh, it's a, yeah, it, uh, I think the internet helped a lot of businesses, but kind of hurt ours. Yeah. But uh, I remember those days when they would come in and, and uh, you know, Gorilla would drive up. You know, he lived just outside of Philadelphia, uh, even though he was uh, technically New Jersey. But he was, you know, in Philadelphia. And he used to drive this big, giant Cadillac. He always had these big, giant Cadillacs. And it was like a ship. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, it, it, it fit him. Yeah, they, it, yeah. They, it fit him well. But he would drive yeah. up, and uh, this, this car, he was always in like a big, black, dark, you know, blue, giant Cadillac. And he had this uh, masthead. He had the, the hood ornament. It was the, you know, the, the silver lady that he had on this thing. It, was, it looked like a ship. It really was. And he would drive up Philadelphia, and uh, – Besides going on the, at all the TVs, but they would come up, you know, and do wrestling challenges. I don't think a lot of people realize too when they used to shoot those um, stand-ups for wrestling challenge because they would do the matches, of course. Uh, but they would do the stand-ups before, you know, the, the opening of the shows and the closing of the shows on the green screen in the studio in Stamford. And we, what would they do? They would shoot the big, giant, wide uh, crowd scene, you know, the, from the when they were at the TV tapings, and then they would use that, and that was all a background tape of those guys doing it and they'd be looking around, you know, and it, like, and you couldn't tell the difference. It, it looked like they were right there, but they would come up and do, you know, the wrestling challenge and then also prime time. And, uh, first of all, they, they're, they're 
their play-by-play was really incredible to me. And for the reason that they fit together as a team so well, and I don't think, you know, if you break it down as a science, that would probably be pretty difficult. They just worked for whatever reason it was. But Bobby talked about it in his book about why he thought that worked so well. And the fact that here he is, you know, Bobby was all bluster. You know, he would talk and say things that, you know, you wouldn't, you'd get punched in the nose most of the time. But if he was paired with another announcer who wasn't more intimidating, you know, and being able, it, it probably wouldn't have worked as, worked as well. But he would say this outrageous stuff and, and you know, Gorilla would say, well, you stop. And you knew that if it came down to it, he could squash him in a second. And, and many times he'd push, you know, Bobby would push it to the limit and he'd be like, all right, that's enough. And, you know, and then, and then Bobby would do his, uh, you know, uh, completely, you know, turn into a weasel and back down. But, uh, you know, it wasn't so much the match. The, the whole match was a show with them, too. You know what I mean? There was this entertainment yeah. angle to it, not even just because of the match, but because of the way they worked together. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, you could you could watch them and just uh, forget the match. You know, and, and like Bobby's line, the guy's a ham and egger. I mean, to this yeah. day, you know, a guy ham and egger. <laughs> Who says that stuff? <laughs> Well, and also, you know, a lot of those teams, Jim, too, were it was always, you know, a credible play-by-play guy, and, and he didn't necessarily have to be a former announcer, but he was kind of the, you know, the play-by-play guy. And there was always a baby face, and the baby face would, you know, put the the guy over and then talk bad about the whoever the heel was, and in effect, they put the, both the heels and the and the faces over. Uh, Vince gets credited with this. I don't know if it, you know if there were many teams like that before. But he gets credit for, you know, really uh, being one of the, the first, you know, television announced teams to put a heel with a play-by-play announcer. And it just yeah. worked in reverse. You know what I mean? Where, you know, Bobby would sit there and trash the baby faces, and then he would talk about how great the heel was. But in effect, what he was doing is putting both over. And, and it worked to perfection. Because he would, you know, say something outrageous and people would like the guy even more. And then you'd have Gorilla control him at the same time. And you saw yeah, that was, too with Vince and Jesse, which we'll talk about after this. But, you know, you didn't really see that very often. You know what I'm talking about with, with where they had uh, heels before that in other territories. I don't know, you know, if Mid-South ever had really had something like that as a team, but. No, I, I think that was a unique. That's just one of the great inventions or evolutions or whatever you want to call it of, of Vince. I mean, love or hate the guy, you got to respect him for what he, he's taken the business and done with it. Yeah, yeah. And, and the other, where I think they really shine, though, was with primetime wrestling. And I know you made a number of appearances on, on primetime when we were um, had people come up. I think you you came up a few times. Remember when we had the the uh, the audience, the live audience, in yeah. Stanford when they yeah. had prime time. Of course, well, I didn't obviously get a, ch- a chance to watch many of the shows, and because uh, you, you're on the road all the time back then, you right. hardly ever get the. You wouldn't even see the TV show. You get done with your match and get in the car and you head out and try to get some sleep or get down the road a little bit. So you really wouldn't get uh, very seldom get a chance to see the finished product. Where now, I think the guys sit. And they have to all stay to the end of the show and even watch every house show, every every match. Well, and also now, I mean, you can you can watch you could watch the show on your phone and it's sitting in an airport, uh, you know, lobby, waiting for a plane. Back then, and I think not the kids are, that opportunity. Yeah, 
I think that back then the guys wouldn't, it was just a different group of guys, you know? Yeah. And it was a different, it was a lifestyle. Everybody, you go to the airport, you go to the hotel, you go to the gym, you'd go to the show, you go to the bar, you go to the airport, you go to the hotel, you go to the gym, you, go, you know, it was just night and it just was a blur. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, where but now, that, you, know, that... the, you know, the kids have more time off or, or more professional and there seems to be a, a lot more competition for their jobs because they have, the guys down there at the Performance Center in Orlando at NXT, which a lot of people love that product even more than uh, Raw or SmackDown, I hear, you know, through the crowds. But yeah. uh, all those guys are hungry to get the job. So I think the kids are much more aware of stuff. And so they are more professional and they are like in other pro sports watching tapes on their yeah. off time. Back in yeah. back in our you you wouldn't watch no tape of the show no. <laughs> you really didn't get that chance, like you said. Probably you know Saturday mornings you were trying to get home or you or you had another show to do or two that you day. Know, also, it wasn't- for me personally, I, I can't stand to watch myself because I you know a big part of our persona, our ring presence is in ring confidence. And I watch myself on TV. I'm like, oh, I look horrible. That looks bad. That looks worse. Oh my gosh. How did I, you know, I'm too critical of myself. So I, I don't personally like some guys really like to watch and critique their performance. Me on the other hand, uh, you know, just not, uh, hadn't done that. Probably maybe yeah. should have. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you know, and, and uh, with primetime, and this is what I thought, I was really Im- impressed with how hard this team worked. I mean, uh, especially for, you know, when Bobby would come in from the road or whatever. But, um, you know, primetime wrestling was one of the most popular shows on the uh, USA Network at the time. And they would do the, do the two hours. And uh, Gorilla insisted on them rolling the matches completely three, like most shows they do, you know, they'll do a, a throw to it. And then right. two minutes later, they right. do the, the coming out. They would watch every single match. And because uh, Gorilla insisted that, you know, if, if there was something in there that he wanted to comment on or something he might miss and it, it gave them more material. And, and that just showed, you know, that the commitment to that. And one of the things That's, they added. The big which, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, it's a joke. It caps and sleeves at this level. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, it's uh, it's the pros and it's the best of the best up there. So not just in management, not just talent, not just uh, in-ring support, and, but the announcers, I mean, production. You know, now even just the cameramen are such an intriguing, integral part of the show. They want the cameraman at the right place at the right time. I mean, it's a ballet yeah. what they do now. Yeah, and that's why it's uh, cool I, to go back. I mean, I don't know when the last time you've been back around to Sean, but to go back and look around and go, "Holy smokes! Look at the size of this production! This monstrous deal with, you know, twenty-five eighteen-wheelers, you know, twenty buses, uh, limos. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's a show of shows, and it's uh, it's cool to be brought back every once in a while and see it how it evolved from. Uh, National Guard gyms in the Sportatorium in Dallas, Texas. Yeah. yeah. Well, and you see that you know some of these guys have their own buses out there in the parking lot, and that. How do guys not... have their own buses now? I mean, you know, back in the day, you'd want your own dress room. Now they, <laughs> they want their own bus. Can I have my own I mean, corner? Uh, yeah. Yeah, you can. Which I always thought having your own dressing room, though, that was kind of a, a penalty. You know, yeah. you're sitting in your dressing room. Well, I'm a big shot. I got my uh, jelly beans. Where yeah. everybody else is in the other dressing room playing cards, laughing, having fun. You know. Right. Yeah, you're like going out there. Hey guys, uh, want to come to my dressing room? No, oh, no, Jim, we're good. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Gen- general reflect when you come in here. Uh, <laughs> some of the guys believe their own press, you know. Yeah. Well, and also, uh, I don't know the last time you. Were, I don't know the last time you were in Stanford, but that uh, those facility there is just incredible yeah, as you, well. And now yeah, they've got go a sale that. down in Orlando. That's uh, an amazing facility, is you know. Yeah, so that, it's, that's it's a, come uh, a long way, maybe that's for sure. That Orlando facility, that's an NFL uh, Major League uh, Baseball type facility, granite countertops. What I think it's like eight rings in one big room, and everything is wired and you've videoed. Training room, uh, massage room, uh, weight room, yeah. state of the art. Uh, of course, when you go up by Stanford, Connecticut, you go by the uh, evil empire with that big, huge black flag flying. Yeah. You know, there's, <laughs> there's a little chill in the air, there's no birds around, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Barely a breeze, cold yeah, chill. Right, yeah. Cloud always over there. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Yeah. But the, you know, these guys, they really were uh, trailblazers. You know, that uh, they kind of set the, the stage for this, literally, for what it's really become. And I remember, you know, that they, they added uh, one of the segments. I did live event centers on set because I did it one time. I can't remember because we didn't. Was, I had to do a. Where were, you, where were you living then, Sean? Where were you living? Were you living? I, in, in, I lived in Stanford. Yeah, I lived in uh, Norwalk, which is just outside of Stanford. It was about ten minutes from the from the studio, and it, you, I, I worked so many hours in that studio. There's nowhere else in the world I could have lived. I always loved the fact that you know, like other people could live in other parts of the country, but you know, I did. I don't know. At least you slept in your own bed most nights. That, and absolutely. And, and, and when we did go to events, we were really fortunate that we flew on one of the jets and you'd, uh, you know, get on. Don't rub uh, it, brother. (laughs) I'm just trying to give you some. Well, you know, that's, that's one of the positive things about working for WWF back in the day. You know, you can live anywhere you want, you know, I mean, you just got to be be here on on those jets. You know, sometimes the shrimp wasn't that big. So, we did suffer. Oh, Sean Michaels alone. <laughs> oh, you mean the food? I'm sorry, I yeah. misunderstood. Your brother. No, uh, hey, but uh, you know that's one of the deals. You can live anywhere you want, you know. And uh, that's we lived in uh, Louisiana. We moved to Florida, and uh, we moved to a little town called Titusville, Florida. You know, which is right there by the space center. My wife found the town, and it's where astro- a lot of the uh, astronaut people live. A lot of the folks work at the space center. So, my wife brings me in to look at the house. We pull up. I got a the big caddy with dark windows on it. I jump out. I got the music blasted. Da 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 da. I got a bandana tank top. My pants stuck in my boots. I'm about 310 pounds on the gas. My wife she jumps out. She's a tall blonde with short shorts and high heels. We're like, hi, we're your neighbors. <laughs> Did like all the shutters yeah. close at once, you know, and get the oh kids God. in the house, get the kids in the house. <laughs> we're walking around the house, looking at it. People were peeking through their windows, looking at us, you know, we kind of panicked that little neighborhood when we moved in. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you did, but then they grew to love you, right? <laughs> Well, actually, I almost ran for mayor of that town. Speaking of which, just a little, a quick little segue, because I had a gym. You know, I, I had my golf tournament down there. I was a member of the Children's Home Society. I had a, uh, We raised money for the uh, Children's Home Society for about four years of my golf tournament. Yeah. I, wrote, I had to quit riding with the cops because, you know, I, my dad was a PD, so I used to ride yeah. with the cops. But 
they'd be like, they'd all meet in the parking lot somewhere, and they're like, let's go get one, you know, and like, <laughs> you don't, not in my account, fellas, it's okay, you know, <laughs> of course, they'd hook somebody up, and they'd throw him in the back seat, he'd be back, the son of a gun, jeep, eat that, Hacksaw Duggan? I'm a big fan, Hacksaw. Yeah. Get me out of this. I said, hey, it don't work for me, kid. It ain't going to work yeah. for you. That's right. You didn't give up the uh, the handcuff key, right? <laughs> oh, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. I, I yeah. enjoy I, I, uh, That's where I was going when we I, I kind of got off track there. But uh, running for mayor. Uh, Kane is running for mayor of Knoxville. And it looks like he's got a really good shot of winning it up there. Uh, we were up there wow. at that con this weekend and everybody the uh there was three guys running the the third guy just dropped out so it's kane and another guy and he's <laughs> way ahead in the polls so how did that guy drop out jim <laughs> I, 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 I don't know mysterious circumstance suddenly he didn't want to run anymore oh well, the boys stopped by uh that that was uh, when we lived in Florida. Imagine that you'd have your friends stop by, you know, four or five, three hundred pound guys, a couple of hot blondes, and a few midgets. You know, the neighbors are like, "What in the world's going on over there?" I tell you, if Kane wins, that's awesome. I'd love to, you know, just for the town hall meetings would be pretty cool. Yeah. So well, we're going to keep an eye on that race. Yeah, he's a sharp. I, I don't know the guy because he's, we, you know, he, I was around a little bit with him overlapping with uh, WWE. But, uh, you know, he's an impressive man. I, I, I could see him running for mayor and doing a good job. There's so many people have the stereotype of a dumb wrestler, you know, a dumb, you know, a carny type guy. But uh, there's guys out there that like Kane that uh, make us look good. You know, we're not all yeah. Mickey. We're all not Mickey Work in that horrible movie, The Wrestler. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, uh, you're right. And uh, people like Jesse Ventura, you know, uh, he's been a, a very controversial figure uh, out there in there in the news but look look what that guy accomplished you know he was a, a governor well, when he was mayor everybody was so. joking I'm like, well how many other mayors can you name <laughs> everybody knows who the mayor of minnesota was yeah absolutely he used, um, he used to bust my shop so my my three sisters hated him he says the worst things about you about your poor eye and everything about jimmy I get to Jimmy when it's my sisters, you know. <laughs> I say, he's well, doing a good job, but now he's doing it for by heart. He's <laughs> so Jesse, watch out for my sisters. Yeah, well, and uh, you know, I want to talk about Jesse and, and his pairing with Vince, but uh, you know, I wanted to, to talk a little bit more about uh, you know primetime and like how uh, you know what a ph- phenomenal program that was, and and that's where I really got to to get to know uh, uh, Gino. Uh, he was, uh, you know, took me under his wing and, and really gave me uh, a lot of great advice. And always, I mean, the greatest thing he did, he was always put me over, uh, you know. And and then, of course, you had Bobby, who did the same thing in his way. And uh, I was talking to him. It was a whole different conversation, Sean. I, <laughs> <laughs> I know. You read his book. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, there's another thing. I want to, I'll talk about that, but whatever. But but really, during that time, oh. they, they were really, they were great to me. And, and but... We had so much fun doing that program. I remember we did the uh, when it was a, a live show, and we used to bring the guys in. And uh, you know, uh, Bobby was great because I, I co-hosted the show with him for a while, and uh, really learned a lot about you know doing a lot of ad lib 
stuff, being able to think on your feet and, uh, you know, and just go and rolling with things, which I think is just keep you know, going. Yeah, don't ever, yeah. yeah of being successful. Don't yeah. acknowledge the mistake. Just keep going. Just keep rolling. Yeah. Yeah. Although one of the one of the bits I I wasn't real pleased about that uh, no I was though because it actually was pretty funny but I was get, I was engaged at the time and Bobby used to make all these comments about you know what a beast that your wife is and and so anyway we ended up doing this this uh, faux honeymoon uh, night and they and he and Bobby crashes it by putting a, a hidden camera in the honeymoon suite and I'm wearing you know the big stupid uh, over you know uh, flannel night night shirt and i come out of the bathroom and all you, you see the <laughs> the angle of the camera is you just see we had one of the camera guys who was this huge guy get under the covers and he's got this big hairy leg with these <laughs> big foot and you could see that, that as me coming on hi honey <laughs> and he's like giggling you know and then that's, i discovered the thought that was camera. the shoot <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was there yeah but, but from that, then he also, that's where, you know, he came up with Betty. He always just said I had a sister Betty. And to this day, people think that I had have a sister Betty that was, I guess, a character. But I guess we can set the record straight now that there really was no Betty. It, they, it was just Keenan saying how that about, it was an Ian. How about you right? that's Is that your wife's leg or no? You know. <laughs> no, she no, shaved. I... She shaved. <laughs> Uh, but really, that what a what a uh, a classic time and and uh, I mean yeah, just in time with Bobby and and I mean you'd be on a long trip and he'd make it fun. I mean uh, he was an entertaining guy and I can imagine you know being with you and bringing guys in because he could rib whoever he, if he brought in the British Bulldogs if he brought in Bret Hart you know if he brought in Hercules Hernandez he'd always have a couple of zingers for him. I mean yeah, uh, yeah. and that made time go. I fun. And of course, some guys were like, hey, uh, was that a shot? Uh, <laughs> yeah, did you mean that? <laughs> and, yeah. And then, then to be doubled down on it. Yeah. Those are the things you or, wanted them to hit you. You hoped that they ribbed you, you know, because uh, that they were putting you over. And, and uh, you know, that was. And if you were being ribbed, well, to some extent, Outback Jack, they ribbed him yeah. so much, ran him out of the territory. That's different. I mean, yeah. uh, the harmless verbal ribs, but some of the mean, vindictive ribs uh, are bad. Yeah. And that was one of the things, you know, also uh, that, you know, I've, I've gotten people who've sent me questions about, you know, what was the relationship between, you know, like announcers, you and, and, the, and the, the boys. And, and that was one of the first lessons that, that Gorilla ever gave me is he said, you're not, you're not one of them. Never forget. And Alfred, too, Lord Alfred Hayes. So never forget you're you're not one of them and you never will be. You can be friends with them uh, uh, to an extent, but you know don't make the mistake of thinking you're in. And I know so that and it served me well throughout society. my time. Yeah, yeah, it's a closed society, especially back then, and even more so. It's, of course, it's being back in the WWF is like I mean, bad comparison, but say it's so like being in combat together, or maybe like that's horrible even to say, but maybe being in like a Super Bowl football game together you guys are down there in the pit together you're fighting together you're working together it's obviously nothing like a soldier would face but i mean you, you're traveling together you're doing all these these hardships on the road together it's a closed group uh, but not as much as it was uh, back in the day but still even now it, it's a you know old timer walk in the dressing room everybody's extremely respectful and everything yeah but it's still different i'm not one of the current boys yeah, no, and we've talked about that before, and uh, about how when those two worlds really collided, that yeah, I mean, it was it took me 
probably a, a good year before, you know, and I will just say, I will just call it accepted. I wasn't to the point where, you know, it was, I was one of the boys or guys like, Hey, but it was to the point where, okay, well, George, he, he's, yeah, he's, you were, he's yeah. cool. He's, he, you know, yeah, but that was, yeah. that was tough. That was a really tough way. You, you know, you walk into a locker room, guys are speaking, speaking Carney yeah. and you know, it's like total kayfabe, you know, yeah. like they're not, yeah, it's not something you were just uh, automatically accepted. Neither. That was uh, yeah. respect that you earned over a period of time with the guys. Yeah. And you had to endure a lot of different things that would happen. I mean, I remember one show I went on TV, one of my shoes disappeared that I had to wear with my tuxedo and <laughs> never did find that shoe, yeah, but I never said a word. That's kind of the harmless type ribs. Your shoe, yeah. you know, somebody cuts your pants leg off. <laughs> yeah, or, exactly. or when I first came, I think I just said the story when I first came into WWE or F back in the day, I walked in and gorilla's kid, Joey Morelli is duct taped to the floor. <laughs> I walked in the building. He's like, Hey, help me up. Will you help me up and get me out of here. Help me. I'm looking at him like, where am I coming into? What the trouble? Yeah. Because, uh, I didn't help him up. No, I was new to the territory. I didn't know who he was or why he was taped to the floor. But, yeah. uh, Dr. Rocco and a couple of guys, they duct taped him, laid him down and taped him to the floor. <laughs> yeah. And uh, they were merciless a lot of times. Too long, man. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how much you got to work with Joey, but I mean, I think a lot of people know, or maybe you didn't know, that uh, Joey Morella was Gorilla's adopted son, uh, who uh, lost his life in a in a car accident. And you know, uh, Jim, that that wasn't the first time. I remember that, that uh, not too long before that, he had been in another accident where he'd um, fallen asleep at the wheel. And uh, ended up with drop foot, uh, you know, had hurt his leg, uh, injured his leg, and then and then uh, he was, you know, in that other in the, in the accident that that uh, where he a lot lost of guys, life. That, yeah, a lot of a uh, lot of well, you spend a lot of time on the road, you know, mid south. We were driving three thousand miles a week, and it's yeah. throw the dice that off, and sooner or later somebody's going to pull out in front of me, a tire's going to blow, a deer's going to run in front of you, you know, something's going to happen, and. Uh, a lot of guys have been in, in some horrific accidents, uh, including yeah. me. But uh, it's uh, it's a, that's you know dangerous. That people you know a lot of folks are. That's the old adage. People say, "Well, you know, I'm afraid of flying." Much more dangerous on the road than. than well, no kidding. And, and those schedule use schedules you guys used to keep. I mean, I think that's why you probably want to travel with guys just to keep you awake. Uh, that situation is what happened, and you know. Uh, the reason I brought that up is that, you know, after that, uh, Gorilla was never the same, uh, no, never no, the same after no, that. I mean, and you can understand that, why. I mean, I yeah, I think that would knock the devil out of anybody. It's, yeah. uh, to, to bury a child, I think, would be the, the hardest thing there is, I would, I would yeah. imagine. And, and, and it's, it's tough. We, you know, we mentioned the, you know, the, the situation that, with Bobby and, and, and Gorilla, but, man, uh, the two of them together – uh, you know, you can talk about great announcers, of course, you know, with, with Jim Ross and uh, even I thought, you know, Tony Schiavone in his prime with, uh, you know, I, I, he was with the WWF briefly. And, and you talk about, yeah, yeah, Gene. Yeah, of course. And then, uh, but that, team, yeah, yeah, exactly. But that team together really uh, just, I think just for pure entertainment value, you know, you look at it and, and you know, uh, Gorilla was voted like six times for the, the, one of the, dirt sheets as you know the worst announcer or something and i would never could and, and i was like you idiots i mean don't you understand yeah. that 
This is yeah, uh, that, that's this is entertaining. Uh, read the you know? dirt sheets, my God. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, that yeah. like Meltzer. I mean, he guy made a lifetime living out of uh, being critical of the business. You know. Yeah. Well, but I always thought to me that was like, really? Are you kidding me? Because to me, it was about entertaining people, and that's what those two guys did. And uh, that there's I think a, that's also, why I think the network. I think that's a. a a lot of folks enjoy watching them on the network, and that's so cool that the, the WWE has that network. It opens up all the libraries of, you know, Gorilla and Bobby, uh, uh, Jesse, I mean, the Mid-South, yeah. the Georgia Championship, Texas All-Star. I mean, it gave all us old-timers new life, that's for yeah. sure. Well, I have young uh, kids that go, hey, Hexa, ho. I mean, ho. Yeah, <laughs> watch it there, mister. But, I got you know, it, Clark. Yeah, you know, and the thing is that now you can go and look back and like we, we they keep finding and putting up all these gifts of stuff that we did. But, you know, uh, some of those prime time, they used to go on location all the time. If they were at a, if we had an event going on, they would shoot a prime time. And I remember uh, one year they shot one out in Los Angeles, I, I think, and they went out on a yacht. I, people probably remember this one, but there was all this, they, the, the water got a little bit rough. And they, I remember there was the chairs, they were sliding all over the deck. And Gorilla was laughing his ass off. And Bobby, too, falling over. You know how Bobby could take bumps, you know, and he was just uh, going with it to the max. And uh, they, they just, they were really, like you said, they were like Abbott and Costello. It was just uh, an incredible pairing. And when they, and Bobby talks about it in his book about when that last night, when they decided how he was going to leave. And, uh, you know, Bobby said, well, you, ha you have to have Gorilla throw me out. And he throws him out of the arena. And he talks about in his book how they went back to, after the event was over, they went back to the hotel and um, they went up in the hotel together and they kind of went to their separate rooms. And Bobby says he went in his, his room and there was a basket full of bananas. Uh, and he calls Gorilla and he said, you never guess what I got. I got a basket of bananas. You want them? And I guess it was their excuse, but they went back on the, uh, the hallway and he said they, they uh, cried for an hour. And, and you you mentioned that special friendship. Well, that that kind of explains it right there. You know, that you do have these incredible uh, relationships. We spend a lot of time together. I mean, sometimes yeah. more than you do with your spouse. I mean, back in the day, you're you're together all the time, and in a pressure situation, it's it's television. And yeah. Sometimes it's yeah. live TV. It's uh. Yeah, it's a, you build a bond when you, you work with somebody. Yeah, you know, and Jim, that that t that TV family, we really were were a family back then. I mean, Kevin Dunn was just a producer when I was there. He was a great producer, and you knew that uh, this guy was not going to be doing that job for long. But we had Edit One. And I, I know you had visited there. We had really it was Edit One. That was the one place they edited all the shows. And if you remember, with the event center, we had the background behind me. That was Edit One. And uh, Gino was, you know, he was part of that family. I, you know, and, and I know he's he's really missed now. But I want to tell you the one story that's just kind of wrap it up with with Gorilla is that after I left the WWF, I really didn't know what I was going to do. I had some things, you know, that were in the works. But in the meantime, you remember? Did you ever meet Nelson Swegler? Nelson was the production guy. He, uh, yeah, I know Nelson. Yeah, yeah, remember sure. Nelson? Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, he had he had uh, left the company. And he had started this uh, this idea, and he was way ahead of his time, to do uh, like these bingo uh, numbers, you know, that he would do on a TV show, and then people could claim prizes at uh, a grocery store 
And it was just, and he did it in Baltimore. I get this call one day and he says, you want, you know, I don't know if you're doing anything, but I need somebody who can kind of be a, you know, a sidekick for this show and I'll fly you down there and I'll take care of everything. And I'm like, ah, I don't know. I, you know, like this, I was going to like pull the ping pong balls with the numbers out. And he goes, well, gorilla's going to do it. And I'm like, what? He goes, yeah. I'm like, I'm in. I'm I, sure I'll do it. I mean, what the heck? So, uh, so I would fly down there, and and uh, Gorilla would pick me up in his Cadillac. He would drive down there to Baltimore the with this thing. Yeah, in the boat. And uh, we did this crazy. It was kind of like the, the premise of it. They made it look like a talk show, kind of being like a Regis. And he had they had a woman that was one of the co-hosts. But anyway, I would do pull the, the ping pong balls. <laughs> and then I would they would have a guest on. I remember they had this karate guy come on, and it was supposed to be this work. I mean, we're going to, I mean, you know, and the guy was going to do like a little karate demonstration on me. Well, he threw this kick that didn't land where it was supposed to and got me uh, right in the, uh, the wedding tackle. And I went down like you wouldn't believe. And I just remember that gorilla walks over to him and he says, I never thought I'd have to, I'd be saying this to you, but stick a fork in him and he's done. And that was kind of like, <laughs> I just explained it all. But, a lot of people probably didn't know that that story, but uh, it was I only did because I just loved to be around Gino, and I I knew I wasn't going to get too many other opportunities, and it didn't last very long, but that's how I remember Gorilla, and he really was uh, one amazing individual, and I know he helped a lot of other uh, young wrestlers along the way, and just really respected in the in the business. And as you talk about the great people you've met along the way, well, he was he was definitely one of them. Yeah, and like I said, the immortalized forever with the uh, gorilla position. I think even the uh, impact wrestling and a lot of the small indies, they, they call it the gorilla position too, right yeah. before you go through yeah, the no, curve. Yeah, you're, you're right. And that, that, that really is uh, one of the, the greatest honors. And I don't think anybody uh, ever thought of it any differently, you know? Yeah, a fitting tribute. Yeah. Because who would have, you know, especially if you're not in the business, you walk in the building, you, you ask some security guy or somebody, uh, how do you get to the gorilla position? They're like, what? There's a gorilla here? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can't, you can't do anything. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, anyway, before we wrap up here, Jim, uh, I told you, I've been, we've been getting a lot of uh, response from people. And uh, I guess we'll just call this the email bag. We heard from Dean Coles in Bristol, England. And uh, he wants to know what your memories are of the Hacksaw-Yokozuna feud in 93. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah, sure do, of course. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I tell you, in the U.K., I love going over there. I, uh, I was over there last year uh, to the uh, London Comic Con. had had a great time. Was up in the Scotland at the uh, the Fringe Festival, <laughs> which was a, a stand up show. But anyway, uh, Yokozuna, uh, you know, Yoko was a, a monster of a guy. He was a, a big, big man. And size is all relative in our business. You know, I'm I'm six three, and now I'm probably two sixty. People say, "Ah, oh, you're a big guy." So no, in my business, I'm a medium-sized guy. You know? Yeah. Uh, Yokozuna was a legitimate, very big, big man. And we had, uh, and of course, Mr. Fuji was his manager. Uh, and I, I had known Fuji for years. But anyway, we had the big challenge where uh, 
uh, who could ever knock Yokozuna off his feet. And I think that's my, my big music video is me hitting the ropes and hitting Yokozuna. And I hit him like three or four, five times. Finally, he's like a, a big, we used to call the spot weeble wobble, but don't fall down. He'd yeah. wobble one way and wobble the other, wobble the other, wobble. And finally he went down. He took a big bump. And of course, that just elevated my character's hacksaw being able to knock him down. But then later on, he ends up beating me up, laying me uh, uh, right there in the turnbuckle on the, on the mat on the turnbuckle. Uh, Fuji puts the jab. Uh, no, I think he put the American flag over me. Yoko, who does the big bonsai jump off the the, uh, the second rope, doesn't see where I am. Boom! Ended up cracking two of my ribs. Bit oh, my man. tongue. Had blood going everywhere. You know, uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I remember Yoko very well. But, you know, as a baby face, it's always better. At least I always enjoyed working with a bigger heel. You know, it's uh, if you're trying to get sympathy as a baby face when the heel's beating you up, it's hard to get sympathy when a smaller heel's working you over. You got Yokozuna, one-man gang, beating you up. It's believable. They're like, you know, fight back. Uh, some of the <laughs> smaller, you know, they're like, oh, punch him back, hacksaw. Come on. You know, but the. Uh, Yoko was a, was a great hand. Yeah. Now, but when you're working with somebody, you know, that large, and I know there were, you know, you worked with Andre a lot, uh, but taking oh. a, a bump like that though, I mean, how do you really, I don't care how you work this, but how do you take that guy was, uh, you know, in his, his prime, uh, way 400 plus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How do, you, just, how do you take that? I mean, and he, <laughs> You saw him come down on people. Wow. <laughs> well, it's it's really a, a learned scientific trait, Deshaun. I'll, I'll tell you exactly how the best way to do it is. You know, once you get down on a spot on the mat, the best thing to do is just close your eyes and hope for the best, brother. Scream, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing you can do, man. You're along yeah. for the ride and just yeah. hope he, he hits it right. But, yeah. you know, that's and, the old joke. People say, Hacksaw, I saw you throw a punch. You missed a guy by two inches. Yeah. I said, yeah, but you see this time when I hit him by two inches. That goes both ways, brother. Yeah, and whenever Yokozuna decided he wanted to get up, he could get up. It was, it was totally up to him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and he, he felt bad because, you know, he felt bad about it. I, got, I had a good rapport with Yoko, and also we realized we had a good angle going with the U.S.-Japanese thing, yeah. Fuji waving his flag, me waving the American flag. So if, if, if he hurt me, the angle would be over. So he was right. concerned that he didn't want to hurt me neither. Well, you talk about that all the time, too, is, you know, you want uh... – that's why you know working stiff was. Yeah, wasn't he's not. He's not your opponent. Was, yeah, he's not. Yeah. yeah, he's not your opponent. He's your partner. Right. And you need you need to take care of each other so you can keep working because that's exactly. you know, that's how you get paid. Yeah. Right. Exactly. exactly. Okay. And, and then one other thing that's pro wrestling. It's not MMA. You know. Yeah. And so that's the old guys, joke. You're you're you know, always Sean. I'll tell you, you're always a phony wrestler. Until you go to court. <laughs> when you go to court, you're a trained killer, brother. Yeah, I'll tell you. It goes like this. 10, 20, 30,000. <laughs> Every time you whack them, the lawsuit goes up. They're like, I, I'm going to sue you. I said, well, I'm getting my money's worth. We're not done. <laughs> yeah, that, that used to get me, too, when you talk to people and they'd give you that. And you'd say, you, have you ever jumped off? I mean, what do you think? There's, it's magic cement down there that these guys come yeah. down with? Uh, it's, a, hey, it's a it's a physical that, business that that's Matilda? for sure 
Uh, you know, I live on a kind of a hobby farm. I got dogs and cats, ducks and chickens, pot belly pig, and uh, looks like we might get some alpaca next. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, and, and uh, Hacksaw does the his uh, podcast appearance from the barn, so we're going to. Yeah, I uh, okay. and of course, with two daughters, everything's got a name. All the ducks have names. All the chickens have names. And one something will happen to one of the chickens. It'll be, oh no, Harriet, oh no. Is it, we're having the colonel for dinner. What's the difference? <laughs> it sounds like it's feeding time there. You better. better yeah, be, it's better getting, it's getting close. Yeah. yeah. It's getting but, close. But uh, yep. Dean had one more question, and we could both answer quickly, and then we'll wrap it up. But he won't. He asked about the TV TV tapings. What did we do on that day? So, from your perspective, you guys are just rolling in from another town, right? Right. Yeah. But it was a long day. I mean, even now TV's a long day. You have to be there what, at noon or one o'clock or whatever. And the show doesn't start until, uh, you know, much, much later. So, uh, it's a lot of downtime. What we used to do is play a lot of cards, man. Yeah. You know, but, uh, it got to the point where the WWF, they said, you know, no more card playing. Because and then you're you know, like, now what are we going to do? <laughs> Yeah. Well, you'd be back there playing cards and you'd be like, dun, 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 dun. is that my music? Oh, jeez, that's my music. <laughs> Where's my board? It's in the case. It's in the case. <laughs> yeah. And then one time, Sean, I tell you, because, uh, you know, you have no pockets in your trunks, obviously, right? So I put my, my cards in my knee pad and I forgot all about it. I went out there during the match. I slammed the guy. Dropped a big D out of it. It was like a magic trick. Cards went flying everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I bet it uh, probably was uh, more than one wrestler who who uh, pawned an ace in there one time or another, right? The old knee pad trick, huh? Yeah, talking about Gorilla, those guys played some heavy card games. Oh, they yeah. were Arnold Scullin? Arnie Scullin, yeah. They, they, that was out of my league. I wouldn't play for that kind of bread. Oh no, that was way below Alfred's. Uh, you know, that was way beneath. <laughs> it. He played. He played cribbage. Yeah. So, and uh, we're going to be doing. You, you worked a lot with Lord Alfred Hayes, and we're going to be doing a show, a podcast about his lordship. Because I'm, I have launched my own personal campaign, Jim, to get that man into the WWE Hall of Fame. I tell you, there's a lot of guys that should be in there that yeah. aren't in there. Yeah. That's for sure. I agree with you. Uh, you know, as far as for me, folks, with the the day of taping, we would uh, it would it was an, a long day, and we would if we were shooting, uh, you know, Saturday night main event or one of those, you would just wait around. Basically, I'm sure it's the same thing today until they decided that they were going to tape this, and you had to be ready to go. But God, some of those those days would just be brutal. I mean, remember Jim that you know we were shooting stuff for every show, or you know. And you would have these crowds come in, these kids like on a school night, you know, and they wouldn't have the main event till you know they want everybody to stick around. Kids would be like, you know, laying across three seats, just passed out, waiting. <laughs> well, hey, I, I was with WCW back in the day when we first uh, went down there and took over, and yeah. uh, and had the the boys go sit in the uh, in the in the audience and make more people look like they were there. <laughs> Who's that guy with tights on? I think he was in the third match. <laughs> yeah, you know. You got any friends with you? Have them go sit in the audience, man. <laughs> they put the black covers over the chair so you couldn't tell them that, uh, you know. But they turned that company around. Yeah. They didn't flush it down the toilet. That's right. Well, and uh, yeah, and it went uh, big flush. But anyway, uh, before we, we before we sign off here, Jim, once again, where can folks see you soon? 
Oh, well, coming up uh, just uh, this weekend, like I said, I'm going to be up in uh, Rutland, Vermont, which is uh, really cool because that's uh, close to home for me. Uh, then I'm going to be at uh, in Charlotte on the 17th doing a stand-up show. I'm going to be in Poughkeepsie, New York. That's a big show. Nash is on it. Uh, I can't think of who else. On the 28th in Poughkeepsie, the 29th, I'm going to be up in Green Bay. Uh, the August 4th and 5th, it's uh, Wizard World Comic Con, Columbus, Ohio. 11th and 12th, Wizard World Comic Con, Orlando, Florida. Uh, 18th, 19th, uh, Shreveport, Louisiana. So every weekend on the road doing something. Yeah, you sure are. You're very busy. Uh, and also, uh, we're hoping to get this all together eventually in a few weeks, but you already have tees on your t shirts on uh, Pro Wrestling Tees, right? Pro wrestling tees, yes. So those good guys uh, do a, a good job. They sure do. Yeah, and we hope we're, we hope to uh, be having some uh, show featured from this this program very soon. In the meantime, folks, uh, like I said, you can uh, find us on iTunes. Shirt. It's a uh, or bros before hoes. <laughs> ah. and and we're gonna come up with a new one. It's just gonna be ho. Yeah. Oh, that'll be a big seller, big, big <laughs> seller. I can see it now. Of course, you know what happens around Christmas time, right, brother? Oh, yeah. Ho, ho, ho! <laughs> hey, Clark, sorry, brother. I just got to do it. Ho! There goes a windshield. There goes a windshield. Yeah, sorry, sorry, folks. Sorry, sorry. Okay. I'm so not sorry. You can, yeah, he's not. He isn't, and I, I know that. Uh, you can catch us on iTunes, folks, and if you uh, uh, go there, please... Uh, give us a rating on there and subscribe. Uh, give us a five-star rating if you like what you're uh, listening to. And be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an awesome episode of Primetime with Hacksaw Jim Duggan and Sean Mooney. You can get us on Twitter at, uh, at Official Hacksaw and at Sean Mooney Who. And we also have our own Twitter account at Primetime MLW. And if you need more than 142 characters, you can email us at Primetime at MLW.com. All right. Loved it. Take us out of here, Jim, because it's time to say bye until next time. Happy trails to you until we meet again. Ho! Hey, Sean, see you next week, buddy. You got it. Ho. Ho. (laughs) See you, folks. Thanks. Thanks.